Hello, my dear friends. Thank you for tuning into this latest episode of Love Service Wisdom with myself, Rada Wepner. I am joined in conversation today with my dear friend who's been on the podcast before, Rainbow Eric. Rainbow Eric is a legend in his own right. Let's just say he's been teaching yoga for over 20 years and studying shamanism and different, lots of different healing modalities, astrology, tarot. Those are some of the things he does with me that I love so much. He reads Akashic records. He is so multifaceted and gifted and talented and one of the most brilliant humans I know. And I have the joy of calling him one of my best friends and co-collaborators in many, many ways. So you'll hear us in this conversation talk about how to stop othering and a lot about somatic trauma healing, which he and I both coincidentally joined the somatic experiencing practitioner training. That's the work of Peter Levine from the book, Waking the Tiger, which some of you might be familiar with. He and I hadn't talked about it, but back in the spring, we both um, independently joined the three-year training. And so we're both starting that in parallel, which is so cool. And of course we are, because it just lines up so much with our work and our beliefs and the work that we're doing in the world. So some of what we talk about in this show definitely touches on those pieces. And then he talks too about um, this module, this training weekend he's got coming up here in Boise, Idaho in September, the weekend of September 17th, 18th, 19th. It's a module on yoga and social sense-making, he's calling it, with a co-leader, Marcy Midnight, who's also fabulous and fantastic and brilliant. And over the years, Eric and Marcy have taught that training um, through my yoga teacher training program. It's one of our core teachings. It's always been part of uh, the school that we've had for five years now. But it used to be called Yoga and Social Justice. And just this past year, Marcy and Eric decided to shift it a bit to Yoga and Social Sense-Making, which is super profound and powerful and deep. And it's going to be a really therapeutic experience for anybody that wants to... um, that anybody that wants to join, that anybody that has the courage to dive into that work. It's really, really, really powerful. I can't stress that enough. If you want to learn more about that um, training, you'd have to be any person here in Boise, but there's some spots open for the public for those that just, that aren't in the yoga teacher training program too. We, we open this broadly. You can just send me an email, info, I-N-F-O at Sage yogaboise.com and I can send you the details about that. And also coming up is Yoga Fort, our uh, mini yoga festival that's embedded into the larger Tree Fort Music Fest that's here in Boise. That'll be at the end of September coming up. And Yoga Fort, it's usually three days, but this year, given the current circumstances of life. It's just going to be one day. It'll be Saturday, September 25th. And Eric will be a part of that too. He's going to help us with our opening ceremony. And then I'm going to have a class 
where East Forest will perform for me. And then the next day, as part of Drag Fort, Eric is going to teach a rainbow yoga class at another venue um, here in downtown Boise uh, at like 11 a.m. So you can find out more about that at treefortmusicfest.com. So if you're in Boise, definitely try to come to Yoga Fort with us. It's going to be so fun. And then myself, just about to be announced is a retreat at Esalen with my sweetheart, East Forest. We're going to be returning to Esalen to teach there. We've been on faculty for a number of years, but like everybody else, didn't have our events happen in 2020. So we've got a new one coming up November 12th through the 15th. It's actually a four-day workshop at Esalen over the weekend there. And you can go to Esalen for more information on that. I think it's Esalen.org, but it might be Esalen.com. And then in February 2022, Rainbow Eric and I will be co-leading the ending of our 200-hour teacher training in Teotihuacan, Mexico. And then from November 19th through the 23rd, it's going to be open for folks to join us on retreats. So if you want some in-person retreat time with Rainbow Eric and I as we go through these somatic healing practices, as well as deep work on our core beliefs and inner inner structure, you can join us for that. I haven't put out the details of it yet. You could send me an email about it too, or just check back at my website for the details, marissarada.com. And with Eric, if you want to learn more about him, please go to rainboweric.com rainboweric.com. He's just the best and I love him so much and I'm delighted to share him with you again. Rainbow Eric, Rainbow Eric. <laughs> Mommy's body. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, friend. Hi. Great to see you as always. Great to see you as always as well. Thanks for being on the show. You're now, besides Krishna, um, my most featured guest. You're like the Joey Diaz of the Love Service Wisdom Show. That's a Joe Rogan reference, which you probably don't know. Oh, I do. I, I, oh, I you do. I like Joe Rogan. Okay, great. I, I appreciate, I appreciate Joe Rogan and all that, all that he does, all that he has, has uh, initiated for the world of uh, independent journalism and the exposure and access of having information cross subcultures mm. and demographics mm-hmm. where where as a result of Joe Rogan my my twin brother who is a hunter and MMA guy and pit bull owner and tattoo you know sporting bro uh, knows about psychedelics and DMT and energy and quantum physics and all the things that have come from Joe Rogan. And so so his many of his friends 
also fought, listened to Joe Rogan, and as a result, have had exposure to all of these things from, you know, the mindfulness world and from the kind of um, social service side of things, you know, progressive mm -hmm. kind of side of things. And it's, I think, single-handedly is as a result of Joe Rogan's podcast. Yeah, you could quite possibly be true. That's true. I hadn't thought of Joe Rogan as a bridge person until now. Yeah. But you're right. Yeah, I, I love it. Andrew. And equally, what do we not know about MMA? Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Archer hunting, wild boar hunting. <laughs> Politics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, different exposures. So anyway, shout out to Joe Rogan and thank you for helping to bring the bro culture into more more mindfulness. And, and more. equally, the mindfulness culture, more uh, into bro. Exactly, and into bridge, and that we're all in it together. Exactly. Mm. He has a big American flag behind him, I noticed the other day. And you've got, like, the cosmic, the cosmic <laughs> journey. Yeah, exactly. Let's Little. see. Oh, yeah. Ooh, yes. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> so how are you? What's going on in your world? Oh, thank you. I am doing great. Feeling really, really tapped in, I'd say. What's going on in my world? I have been gearing up to come to Idaho. So I'll get to spend some time in Idaho with you, which I'm super excited about. So I'm coming to teach for Tree Fort, Yoga Fort, uh, Drag Fort, uh, the third week in September, which will be fun, or the last weekend in September, I guess. Yeah, the last weekend in September. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. uh, September 23rd through the 26th, this Tree Fort Music Fest, Yoga Fort, Drag Fort all the forts. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll be offering a class yeah, on Sunday uh, in the morning, I think at the LED space, which is going to be fun. So um, I haven't confirmed the time on that yet, but I think it's maybe 11 to 1230 or something like that. I'm not sure. So that's going to be fun. And then I'm coming to Boise for the 200 hour teacher training for Sage, which I'm really excited about. Yes. Yeah, yes. So, yeah. And teaching, co teaching with the lovely Marcy Midnight for a social sense making weekend, uh, which we're both really excited about. And that one's over the September 16th weekend. So the weekend before Tree Fort, Yoga Fort. Describe social sense making. Yeah. So I think um, we used to kind of call that social justice, the Yoga for Social Justice. And something that I've noticed as a result of the last couple of years and also something that was building for several years for me, just recognizing that the kind of, even the term social justice kind of sets in motion this idea that, that um, of kind of right and wrong and, and oppressed and oppressor and the sense that there's like, you know, someone needs to pay and this idea that we have to repair 
what's been wronged and and someone's going to have to be held accountable for that. And there's almost this this kind of us and them aspect. And I think what's happened in the, the culture, in the social justice kind of culture uh, at large and restorative justice is this kind of dualistic battleground of, of, of being on the right side or the wrong side, doing it the right way or the wrong way. And then this sort of hierarchy that like, oh, you're not evolved enough yet, or you haven't done it right yet, or you haven't learned the right way yet. And so as a result of kind of witnessing that polarization really become more and more extreme over the last you know, especially the last couple of years, but I've been noticing this progress slowly um, since the end of like the first, you know, early 2000 era, I started noticing this kind of polarization becoming more and more and more intense. Mm-hmm. And, and even in my own experience of you know, I first started training and studying and learning and in social justice and restorative justice in my early 20s, you know, I'm 39 now, and did a lot of training and a lot of, um, you know, front lines activism work through my 20s. <coughs> and me. I started seeing that there was this, this place where, you know, judgment projection, blaming, name-calling, shaming, this guilt. You know, there were these kind of aspects that were very prevalent even within that culture that is somehow trying to change the way that it has been and change the way that, you know, systemic oppression exists and, you know, institutionalized XYZ, racism, classism, sexism, you know, sizeism, all of these pieces. Yeah, and you're you're making me think of I just last week at the Boise Co-op I saw a bumper sticker that was for Black Lives Matter and it said no justice, no peace. And I was like, is that really the thing that you want to be saying as your motto? Like there won't be justice and there won't be peace. Exactly. No justice, no exactly. peace. Exactly. Exactly. Sounds that, like you're trying to reframe that. Yeah, exactly. Right. So social sense making would be able to say, you know, what's how do we make sense of what's going on here? And can we have a conversation not using the tactics of the oppressor that got us into this mess in the first place? Right. Which would be name calling, shaming, othering, blaming, um, you know, judgment, punishment, projection, uh, us and them, right and wrong, more of all of those dualistic tactics. and Fighting. Fighting, exactly. And so what, you know, Marcy and I's approach is more of a, a non-dual approach to, to the justice work, right? Which would mean to say, how do we create environments where we can have conversations that aren't being, you know, reduced to I'm right and you're wrong and this is the way and the only way and now we can't be friends and now you're canceled, right? Really kind of like in a, in a, um, 
approach to help diffuse cancel culture to be able to say, wait a minute, why is it you believe what you believe and help me understand, you know, and perhaps because of how you've been raised from your environment, within your environment, within the family of origin, in the country, part of the country or part of the world that you were raised in, what you learned and what you experienced, perhaps what you now believe is the result of all of those aspects. And instead of me automatically being like, you're the enemy or you're ignorant and, and let me tell you what's right and let me tell you what I learned, you know, with my liberal arts degree or my poli-sci degree or my like neo-Marxism. And, and now I, I have, you know, this intellectual superiority that I'm going to loom over you and use it as a tool to divide and conquer and kind of annihilate while simultaneously using words in my kind of rhetoric of, of uh, you know, solidarity and, and mm-hmm. collective liberation and, you know, compassion and, and this idea that what we're fighting for is this inclusion, when, but yet the tactics that we're using along the way end up having the opposite result where there are some that end up feeling included, which are the ones who are also believing and going along with this kind of narrative of rightness and wrongness. But the ones who end up feeling excluded are often the ones that are on the opposite side of this issue, let's say. And, and then in this, the wake of this, you know, suddenly anyone that opposes or is even willing to kind of call it out gets deemed a flat earther, an anti-Semitist, a fascist, a Trump, Trumper, <laughs> and simply to be able to say, hey, wait a minute, can we have a conversation mm-hmm. about this? Help me mm-hmm. understand. Mm-hmm. Or then we're called ignorant or, you know, then we're called, and, and I've never, you know, identified as some right-wing neo-Nazi, fascist, flat earther, anti-Semitist. I don't know about you. I'm pretty sure that you haven't either. Uh, while being willing to have a conversation to kind of call it out automatically hits this thing where now I'm on that camp. I'm coming, I'm like in that camp, you know, and I'm coming from that side. So I find that to be very, very alarming and indicative of some deeper issues, which is why do each individual feel so scared? Why do they feel that it is this like life or death and your viewpoints are automatically attacking me just by you being in the room. And then I project onto you that like all of what you, I think you are based on what I'm seeing, right? Which is very, uh, you know, dehumanizing. So social sense making is basically a, a way to have us come together to explore and ask questions and and maybe go a little deeper into why you know why we we might be reacting in the ways that we are and maybe even go deeper into recognizing how we got here mm-hmm. you know how we got here as as a, as a collective as a society as this kind of modern world 
and it takes us really far back into history. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's really, it's, really yeah, it sounds like more of a course correction from the big shift pendulum swing, right? When we went from oppressed, oppressing to trying to rectify by blaming, stopping. And it's like, how can we meet in the middle? Yeah. Which feels like a very fragile, delicate, nuanced conversation. And even like just listening to you talk about it, I'm I can I'm projecting myself forward into the room during this training and I can sense like how hot and prickly and activating it will be. Yeah. So yeah, I, what will your tools be for working with that? I mean, because even at the most basic level, when the conversation begins, most people get activated. Exactly. And then when you're activated, you can't actually learn or listen. Yeah, exactly. Or be present. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great segue. I mean, I think that's something that you and I both get to in our personal lives and in our professional lives is something that we are actively bringing in, you know, into conversations and how do we cultivate skills and tools for in real life scenarios, when we're in a, in a, a triggered state or activated state or in a state of alarm, right. And we're having kind of like a fight or flight response, sympathetic response, being able to recognize, okay, how do I, stay present in myself while also feeling really big waves of intensity coming up as a result of perhaps something you said or just by looking at this person who's in the room. Right? Yeah, I almost feel like you're going to have to begin the training with that somatic teaching. Oh, completely. That's, that is that is the beginning, right? So I love that you just brought this in because what the first step is to just presence. How are you experiencing yourself right now entering in to what it is we're going to talk about? And then asking, what's the history that's present in your nervous system right now, right? <laughs> I'm just like, how are you going to do this with a bunch yeah. of people at once? <laughs> okay. It's definitely big work. It's, I, I, I love it. I mean, I think 20 plus years of dedicated, you know, mindfulness training on top of. Just go real slow, right? Years of nature rewilding and, and merging lends me into a position where my nervous system is able to ride those big waves while also staying inside my own space and my own center and then being able to hold the space and yes very very slow and from a place where we first have to then learn about boundaries and breath and connection and to recognize like what are the what are we consenting to inside the space and building a container and you know there's definitely some protocol pieces of maybe let's say energy hygiene or energy maintenance and then implementing those as kind of the ground rules 
that end up supporting the whole work or if and when, and definitely when. When. <laughs> yeah, because it, it all comes up, you know, and it's so valuable. It's so valuable. It's something I'm not really seeing in the nature of this, the polarized kind of culture right now on social media and in politics and otherwise. There's a little bit of this kind of non-dual approach to to the social justice work and the restorative justice. I've seen a little bit come through with, with some of the um, folks kind of out there teaching. Uh, but generally speaking, I would say that there's very little. And that then shows me the you know, presents an opportunity to bring this in, to bring this approach in, to help people recognize like, how do I stay centered inside myself so I'm not locked in a dualistic mentality that would have me feel like I am battling you. Or just even the other side of it collapsed and dissociated exactly yeah yeah that's the other side so and maybe that's something you know we get to just talk about right now i mean i think something i've noticed is as a result of going through the last year and a half really let's say let's say the last four years of of the 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 trump (laughs) uh shenanigans of, of recognizing like, wow, the United States of America just elected a royal narcissist sociopath monster to be the president of the United States of America. A, a, a known crook, a known villain, uh, a known bully, a known misogynist, a known sexist, uh, you know, this just like the epitome of narcissism you know, and this guy just became the president of our country. Wow. Like, geez, where, where are we at as a, as a, as a nation? Right. And slowly what started to reveal itself was just how angry Mm. all of the, you know, like I'd say, because we're from the Northwest, you know, and I went, I lived in Portland for five years and, you know, had access and exposure to, to all of this wonderful information and and this great continuing education about the environment and recycling and and you know the earth and permaculture and composting and mindfulness and yoga and citywide activism and you know queer rights and trans rights and 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 having diversity and inclusion work and I mean all of the things that Portland offers right and it was like oh my god this city is the most amazing most progressive like this is incredible every city should be like this and and then the ideas that came out of that are very convincing like everybody should have a community garden and everybody should recycle and everybody should care about the environment and everybody should be working towards right it's like it's hard to argue with those things but then as because of the media it was the kind of this energy of like there was sort of this righteousness and narcissistic kind of echo chamber inside that web in Portland and Seattle and Olympia. And then I would go to places like, let's say, you know, rural Oregon or rural Idaho or, or like Wyoming or Montana or any of like the rural conservative places. And then people not practicing these things suddenly are like less evolved 
and 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 like ignorant or or then maybe even the problem oh you're just perpetuating the problem and now they're being judged and now they're being shamed and now they're being and i and i would i i had a problem with that right i would feel like there was almost this kind of like complacency and apathy that I noticed developing in people in Portland. And then I would leave, you know, over the rainbow, I would leave over the rainbow out into the rest of the world and be like, wait a minute, there's a huge disconnect here between what's happening for the majority of the rest of the country and then what's happening in these little progressive bubbles. And so what I started doing was trying to like bridge and recognize, you know, well, how do we get from, you know, downtrodden, poor, small town, rural America to elite, progressive, resourced Portland, Oregon, right, at that time. And something I've noticed now after being in this work for years and years and years, you know, some answers to my, my kind of inquiry there. Um, is to be able to recognize actually where are, you know, these people, where are the folks at that are living in these rural places and, and what do they need and, and what are their wants? What are their dreams? What are their values? Like, where are they at as far as, you know, from a humanistic perspective? And what I noticed was that inside many of the places that are like red, let's say, and, and Donald Trump really ended up becoming like a catalyst to, to reveal this, is this angry mob of malnourished humans suddenly had a spokesperson. And, and, and like- Yeah, and I just want to pause there, like the angry mob of malnourished is an aspect right and the other aspect is they want to be loved they want to well, spend time with their families exactly that's where i'm headed i mean it's not a judgment against the like the reality of recognizing oh my gosh look at all these people who are haven't had access to clean water or clean food or jobs or opportunities who have been shamed name called blamed judged punished who are traumatized Mm-hmm. and have been living in a place where a cult, the culture is perpetuating that divide. And the media, you know, you have all these like woke, educated liberals who are like these people, they're ignorant and there's no, can't they just leave? There's no place for them here. And they think they're doing everything in the name of God and these things and like all this really intense polarized kind of judgment. Yeah, right? it goes back you know, even further, if we go back to the 60s, right? Like the hippie movement is what created the conservative fundamentalists. Conservative fundamentalists didn't actually exist until the world started to change in the 60s and 70s. Right, like the double down, like doubling down on fundamentalism. Exactly. That's what happened. We don't want things to change. And, yeah. we're, and then the other side, I'm using hippie for lack of a better phrase, saying the world can change and we want things to change. And we're going to say actually no to the direction the government's going in, for example, with the Vietnam War or so the civil rights movement or the feminist movement. Right. Yeah, I totally get how 
you know, that there was definitely a need. Obviously, I'm completely for the, you know, support of and prolification of human rights and women's rights and, you know, queer rights and everyone actually having like equality. And I'm yeah, well, getting back to your original point, it's, it's the aspect of othering that causes these polarizations that causes the separation. Yeah. And then so, it goes, you can kind of keep following it back, right. Where we can, it go through religious fundamentalism and go through understanding the, the role that like capital capitalism has ended up playing and the role of like, where and how technology has had us dissociate from and the And if land. you go further back from that, like even just the aspect of us as settlers, right? Us as colonizers and our ancestors to have had the ability to do that. One, to leave their home and to leave their source of connection, wherever that was in place, to take someone else's. Totally. Inside, you have to split into othering yeah into domination and that i would say that then is the place of being able to recognize how is that possible what makes a person you know break to the degree that you it's like kill or be killed or dog eat dog world and and that's then getting into patriarchy and understanding kind of the the full spectrum of a top-down hierarchy and system of power and how it works and and then going back even further of how did that happen how does an individual get locked into their mind in a way that is killer be killed or dog eat dog world right and it's man versus man van versus nature man versus self and then you know and and so part of the nature of what i think has happened in the last four years is what, you know, I feel a strange kind of like odd silver lining or some odd providence that has kind of emerged as a result of giant, you know, baby Huey monster being Trump man who, who, who he served as a, as a catalyst for, for, you know, in enlivening and exposing and and um, you know really revealing how millions and millions and millions of Americans are angry and are you know overweight and addicted to prescription drugs and have been raised in systems that judge them and punish them and and perpetuated fear guilt and shame their whole lives they had. Father, it's sick, the it's sickness, malnourishment, exactly right. Yeah. Well, malnourishment, but it's like psychological, spiritual, physical. Exactly, that's what I mean on every level, right? And exactly. So what I, what I, something like in my own kind of idea of implementing, like you know, a theory or something. <laughs> if I have to appeal to the left, <laughs> I'm going to put it in the place of a theory and then I'll see if I can get that into a journal and then I'll let the institution say that it's valid thoughts and then once that becomes something that's peer reviewed and then people can agree that it's actually okay then maybe we'll put it out there uh something I would love like maybe similar to Thailand right Thailand has this gross national happiness uh measure or meter 
I thought, like, wouldn't it be beautiful if we had a standard, like a, a nourishment standard, mm. right? And mm. this idea of like a national nourishment mm-hmm. factor. Krishna, when we were in bed yesterday morning and he goes over the news, he read me some statistic that I'm going to get wrong, but it'll be close. It's like 80% of children, school-age children, live off of frozen pizza, hamburgers, microwave food, cereal, cookies, and chips. That's 80% of their diet or something like that. There we go. And I mean, and then, so, so exactly, right? It's being able to recognize from the inquiry place, what is it that has the brain develop in a way where it gets, stays locked in a survival setting? A person in a survival situation a person who's locked in actual survival, which is where am I going to get good healthy food? Where am I going to have love? How am I going to have resources? How am I going to have, right? Which then brings in the systemic side of things. But to, we have to, I, in my opinion, it has to be looking at this from an individual perspective, from a, a mental health perspective, an emotional health perspective, a physiological perspective, as well as a collective perspective And the systems then that are, you know, institutions that are kind of implementing these protocols, you know, that from the, from the bottom up and the top down. You know, it's just, I am having a moment of slight despair where I see, I can see the, I can see it like you see it. And then the feeling of change just. (sighs) Yeah. And I would say that right there is then the place where if we don't learn how to stay present while also navigating those big feelings, mm-hmm. part of what ends up happening, right? Because I think like, yeah, but we did elect Trump as a collective. And then we elected Biden too, who in many ways, I might upset people by saying this, isn't that much better. I mean, he's oh, yeah. just corporate Wall Street. It's oh, just... Yeah fake uh, facade also, you yeah, know, I, and I guess it doesn't rely on, on our president, let's say, but it feels very symbolic of the level of personal accountability or even the level of personal empowerment. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I think just even to touch on the part where you said the despair, Right what what happens when we start having conversations like this hmm. we are able to zoom out and and really start to look at all of these layers and all of the ways and the danger of um, being really plugged into statistics and into media is what you start to then feel and experience is all of the disconnect and all of the horror and all of the darkness and all of the pain. And then, and it's hopeless and feels overwhelming. And, but on an individual level, what's actually happening in my body is that there's fear and, and hurt and this, this sense of that I'm in a threat, I'm having a threat response go on in my nervous system. And what's strange to be able to to learn, I would say, and fascinating, unique to humans, 
is being able to recognize, hi, buddy. Uh, that was nice. A little peek, a little like special magical gnome kind of popped his head in for a second. Yeah, it's the Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. Uh, that is to be able to actually understand how our nervous systems work, right? And what happens when a person starts to have a threat response. Right. So if I could track that in myself, right, the despair is a feeling of lack of control. Like it's out of, it's at, like that. Yeah. And then being able to notice how does that show up in your body? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're right. When I stay in the place of individual or close circle, like sphere of influence, immediate sphere of influence, I feel hopeful. Yeah. And it, so, so. And I feel positive. Right. But I, that could be illusory also. Like that could just be. <laughs> there's, a total ba- there's a whole background of neurobiology and neuroscience that supports exactly why that's true, right? Because the scope of your nervous system is oriented to within the realm of your senses. Mm. So what you can see, what you can smell, what you can hear, what you can touch, right? Who you can sense, right? When you're in a space. So the whole idea of like, you know, think globally, act locally, like you can only change yourself, be the change you want to see in the world. I mean, there's all kinds of little ways that this, we have little kind of memes and isms to to support this. But from a nervous system perspective, we're human animals, right? We're human animals and we're pack creatures and we are bound by our senses. We're bound by our carbon, the rules of carbon, right? The rules of our biology which means that if I'm in a threat response, I feel like I'm in danger. Mm. But there's not actually a tiger trying to eat me. And there's not actually in this moment, in this space, a wildfire or, you know, a hurricane. Yeah, well, it's sort of a both and because it's, yes, it's true. The immediate tiger is not there and there's climate change. And it's like a slow... Or not so slow. This is the place where being able to understand when inside my logical brain, right, in my cognition, neocortex, I have this understanding of, of what's going on in the world. And then maybe in this moment, there isn't some localized sense of threat or danger. You're right when you use the word dissociation before, you know, what ends up happening as if we are not careful, a result of our conditioning and a result of that colonization is that we get locked out of our wild animal present tense ability to gauge an environment and have my mind stay with me in this environment where I'm kind of integrated between my limbic system my my logic awareness social engagement process and then my deep body connection and what happens is if i'm feeding my brain with lots of media right and i'm re- reading all the statistics and i maybe uh, get a sociology degree and then want to slip my wrist because i learn about how you know all of the statistics of poverty and you know sexual abuse and domestic violence and all of the things that come I would then feel like it's fucked and it's so overwhelming because what's happening is in my limbic system, 
my empathy. I'm feeling pain mm. because I'm imagining and seeing and sensing all these people that are hurting and all these people that are suffering. And then my body is like, it thinks it's happening right now. As far as my nervous system is concerned, I'm in danger, right? And, and But meanwhile, in this moment, in this place, maybe I'm not, right? And so yes. being able to learn how to move through those components and stay in a place where we can have the both and experience where I can mm-hmm. recognize like, oh, wait a second. Okay. Yeah, it's reminding me of Peter Levine's pendulation. You know, it's not just in the body level, it's in like the concept level too. Exactly. And beautiful bridge. I mean, that's, yeah, the, the, the work of Peter Levine and the somatic, you know, somatic experiencing and, and the, the kind of technology of the somatic understanding, you know, he really pioneered the research and birthed, the, uh, you know, curriculum to help people understand how the nervous system works and how to track that. And uh, it's interesting because if you had studied, you know, depth psychology or Tantra or shamanism or any of the kind of like old school mystery traditions, they all talk about mindfulness. They all talk about connection. They all talk about breath. They all talk about being able to track staying in your body, in your center, while also navigating, you know, everything that's going on. And with Peter Levine's work, it really went into the precise science of actually recognizing what does happen when a person gets stuck in a threat response and, and their sympathetic nervous system is just running, running, running. And, and then their body, you know, what are the effects in the body? What are the effects in relationship? Mm. And then ultimately how does that affect our role on the planet, you know, and how, of how, and how do you, how do you work the trauma through your body? Exactly. How do you begin to heal? Exactly. How does true healing begin to happen where we're not just, you know, rolling it over in our minds over and over again? Blaming the other one. I call it trauma hot potato. Where it's like, oh, well, it's not mine. It's, I don't want to, you want to know. Or trauma ping pong or pinball. pinball. No, it's yours. No, it's mine. No, it's yours. No, it's mine. So like, let's actually put the paddles down. Let's let that potato just drop. And let's feel and explore you know, what's needed. And to me, that's, that is the real gift of what's come out of the last couple of years. And I recognize that that's a, that being able to even use a word like gift mm-hmm. is as a result of me having clean water, clean food, a roof, lots of love, lots of connection, lots of practices, and have done all this work. And sadly, having mindfulness and health and vitality has become a privilege instead of just a basic, you know, human right and something that would be a non-negotiable common denominator. And so, in my opinion, the bridge work starts with the individual. And then how do we organize and, and uh, sort of, uh, you know, m- 
mobilize and motivate together, right? Once we kind of find that in ourselves, come together in our little communities and in our families and in our, in our practices, reconnect, right? Like the work of Joanna Macy and, and, and deep ecology and, you know, the work that reconnects, like once we get reconnected and we can actually cycle through the trauma of having been raised in a culture that violated us, shamed us, judged us, punished us, abused us, disconnected us for years and years and years and years. Once that, as I'm doing that work and how are we working collectively to implement practices and programs to, to share and teach this work in a way that can then be implemented in, within our educational systems within our institutions, you know, with, and ultimately then, and then implementing policy that is supportive of having people stay nourished, having people stay connected, having people feel inspired. And then we're at that point. I'm, I'm visualizing the Wellness and Nourishment Act as a bipartisan policy. Exactly, exactly, exactly. That's exactly right. Like, because that's, <laughs> that's what we need, right? That's what we need. We need to feel safe in our bodies. We need to feel nourished. We need to feel loved. We need, it's not just hippie, wooey fluff. It's like the foundation <laughs> of our mammalian life science and our, you know, hundreds of millions of years of evolution. We're designed to feel safe and to feel connected. We've evolved to to experience love and and joy and fun and play and curiosity and so laughter the universal uh, language yeah so that's that's my hope and kind of prayer and intention with this work and you know with what's coming out of this time is that we can recognize that what has someone on the right be locked in their own projection and fear and blaming and name calling and and conviction is the same component that has a person on the left be locked in the same conviction and blaming and name calling and shaming and othering and to me that's the common denominator why are these humans so locked out of connection and so convicted mm. that they're yeah right. even just you know, it's like yogic science brain um, levels of consciousness you know we know through the work that we do as yogis when you're in that lower mind the mana that it's you're you're in the mammalian or the reptilian instinctual brain that is looking for threat and threat looks like differences what's different what's out of place what doesn't belong here what's unusual and then the more connected you get and you go into a different level of mind the booty minds that from that lens of mind it's perceiving sameness it's perceiving connection it's perceiving unity it's it's seeing how how the oneness that's there. So to, it's almost like, how do we get from one level of mind to the other where you're still, of course, you know, alert for what might be dangerous, but it's not just the lens through which you're seeing with. 
Exactly. You drop into it when you need to. Yeah. And then being able to take that, you're exactly right, right? And being able to go deep into that from an actual practical, just by animal aspect is based on my experience of my needs being met from a survival perspective. So the how do I drop in is to recognize one, I'm not in danger. Well, what if the danger my body is projecting is because I'm tired, have adrenal fatigue, have constantly lived in fight or flight my whole life, don't have- Yeah, that other part of it being that for many of us that are privileged such as we are, we are not in threat at all, right? And we're very safe and we have plenty of food to eat and we have tons of access. Yet why do those who are outwardly successful- still live in threat because it's their past threat and being able to then unpack all of the past that's still running currently, even in this situation where everything is really effing good for you right now, for the most part. Yeah. And then why do I still feel so locked out or so scared or so sure? I mean, that's exactly right. And that, that bridge to me, is the first step is to assess that ma- that reptilian kind of brain. Uh, is my body actually in danger right now? No. Feel, you know? Right? If it's a no, then why do I feel like I'm in danger? Why do I act from a place of threat and othering? It would mean that then I have stored trauma, and this would then bring in what I feel a constructive definition of trauma is, right? Is being able to recognize anything that happens that the end result is I am locked out of presence and connection in my body, in my felt experience, or in my mind. Anything that has happened that has left me in the result of being locked out of that deep connection place, locked out of the oneness. Meaning in this moment, it's not safe to feel. Maybe physically, maybe emotionally, maybe psychologically. I can't feel this thing right now. And it's not actually the inability to feel. Thomas Hubel says says this. It's the choice, the ability to not feel. I have the ability to not feel versus the inability to feel. Right. The ability right. to not feel is a function, is a survival mechanism. Like, yeah, but, and that's the place where it gets to be like an interesting paradox is your survival mechanism kept you alive. So there is a reason that your brain learned to go the way that it did or that you had to dissociate as a thing. And instead of that being something that's then shamed, or judged or blamed, it has to really be understood and celebrated in order for the trauma to to kind of like disengage and for the energy to cycle, right? It has to cycle out of your body. And that's why I use the terminology rewilding. What I really love about that kind of idea and that feeling is, is to recognize, you know, thinking about the wild animals that are present inside themselves in the context of their environment. 
in the moment that they're experiencing whatever it is that they're experiencing. And we kind of, you know, our consciousness has sort of been colonized and farmed and our bodies have also kind of been colonized and farmed and we've really lost the connection to our wild. And I think as we do this work to reconnect and to, to kind of sift through, let's look at all the results that have happened from this domestication, let's say, and, and being able to understand that regardless of how much I control my brain to believe or not believe certain things, my body has been on this planet evolving for millions and millions of years. And that system of intelligence and power is way, way, way more dominant than the part of my brain that learned that boys do this and girls do this and, you know, like the right way or the wrong way. Like, oh, this outfit means that I will, you know, I mean, you know what I mean? Like the conditioning of our social aspect. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah, yeah. the cultural conditioning, the social conditioning, the yeah. family conditioning, yeah. the beliefs, the beliefs. Yeah. And their constructs. Mm-hmm. So, and again, perhaps they were survival strategies that we needed at that time and being able to recognize, you know, thanks to the work of, of um, neuro, neuroplasticity and, and understanding, you know, transgenerational trauma and recognizing that now we know in neuroscience that your brain pathways, you know, aren't set in these tracks that that can't be changed. It was not really until the last couple decades that science even recognized that you could change the patterns and pathways in your mind, you know? Even having the definition of trauma be like a household term, right? That's really just in the last, again, couple decades that we now have an understanding of emotional trauma and the subtleties of trauma. And so in some ways, I feel like we're right on schedule with where we're at right now, you know, that, that we're evolving to a place where maybe we can take what we used to know long ago as, as, you know, hunter gatherer beings, along with what we've learned through all of our social hierarchy and kind of institutional conditioning Perhaps what can emerge in this time is something new and something, you know, even more innovative than what we've experienced. And I don't think... And integrated and a both and, and and true, right? Like a a turning back to the past and a holding of, like you said, what has emerged because there has been a lot of growth and evolution. But we've also, yeah, just like a correcting of the pendulum swing again, like more middle road. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that to me feels, I notice my nervous system settle, right? You know, and and just to get a sense of what would that middle road feel like in my own body, how I could recognize that I sometimes feel happy and sometimes feel sad at the same time. And sometimes I feel crazy joy, excitement, with also feeling nervous, scared, terror. And that really my body is always actually in this kind of both and experience. And if I can learn to stay in that place, right, it's sort of this flow state. And I call it like being in the pocket. I feel like I'm in the pocket and I'm in this like really beautiful pocket 
and I feel really connected and really boundaried, secure inside myself, nourished. And then I'm more able to accurately feel and perceive what's happening in my environment. So tell the, the folks that are listening maybe some of your most tried and true practices to sure. get in the pocket. Sure, thanks. Yeah, well, why don't we even right now, it's just as a, as a group, right? All of those folks out there, let's just take a minute together if it's all right with you. I love and, it. Great. And let's just notice, you know, maybe taking a second to, to notice how it feels in your body hearing everything, you know, that we've been talking about and kind of going through all this information. Just notice sort of what's happening in your body right now. Noticing if you felt compelled to close or open your eyes. Obviously, if it's not safe to close your eyes because you're in traffic, then don't close your eyes, please. While if you are in a safe space and you feel open to it, maybe try closing your eyes and noticing what's happening inside your body right now. Getting a sense of if your energy feels speedy or racy, maybe it feels electric. Maybe you notice that it feels slow and heavy. Getting a sense of the position that your body's in. Are you sitting on a chair, on the couch, or on a bed? Maybe you're working at a workstation. Just getting a sense of what's happening in your body. How does it feel to be connected to whatever you're connected to? getting a sense of the feeling of the seat. And is the seat holding you up? Do you feel supported? Getting a sense, and let's try if your eyes are closed, let's try with open eyes, but staying with that feeling of being supported. Just kind of slowly looking around the room, just noticing how it, what you experience in your body as you see the things in the space that you're in. You might notice a settling rhythm of breath. Maybe your body feels compelled to have a little discharge of energy. Maybe you feel movement and just giving yourself permission to move a little if you like, staying kind of slow. Perhaps you notice maybe feeling that, oh, you might be hungry or maybe you're thirsty. 
Maybe your biological cues say you need to change positions. Maybe you notice a yawn, deep breath. We'll just together expel one big breath with some sound. We'll have a big inhale and exhale. On the next out breath, we'll take a breath in. We're going to exhale with the sound of ha. So big breath in. Ha. 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 Gently licking the lips. Wiggling the toes and the fingers a little and just sensing what you notice in your body now. Maybe making a note how it feels right now, getting a sense of the container, your energy being in your body, consciousness inside the body. I like to feel and experience thinking about the sunshine that's in my heart. Right, the light is borrowed sunshine. We have this borrowed sunshine inside our hearts, in our brains, inside our nerves. The blood that emerges from the marrow in the body. How beautiful that blood builds from inside the center of the bones. And maybe getting a sense, boundary of my skin. my senses, place and position I happen to be in, in the room I'm in, walls and the floorboards. Getting a sense of the foundation. my sphere of experience or my sphere of influence, all these rings, all these spheres. And just recognizing, what do I need right now? There's something that I noticed that I need that I didn't notice before. If it's possible. See if you can give it to yourself. It's not possible right now. Perhaps you can later today or later this weekend. Maybe it's something you're working towards. And there you have it. <sighs> Pretty simple. Pretty simple. Our, our bodies are 
evolved for millions of years to experience presence, connection, sensorial information. To be in your body. Be in your body. Hmm. Yeah. So I sometimes like to, you know, go, if that's 1.0, maybe 2.0 is then being able to sort of reverse engineer. Sometimes I'll notice that my mind is locked in crisis and anxiety and projection and fear and, and, and anger. And, you know, my mind is thinking thoughts that, you know, are projecting through a lens of crisis. Yeah. And so I notice that now I know I can reverse engineer that if my brain is thinking like that, that means that in my body, I'm having feelings and sensations that are causing my mind to, to go into this place. And, and so I have to then feel and connect to my body to get a sense of what's happening in my mind, if it's true. Is it happening right now? What, is there something I can do about it? Is it mine, right? Are those thoughts mine? Or where did those come from? What's my role with them? And what's possible right now? Right? And so often what I realize is when my body is feeling really grounded and really centered, and I'm in that pocket, so to speak, I notice that my mind rarely goes to a place where I'm projecting through crisis, projecting through blaming, othering, name-calling, shaming, right? And, and I then notice when I'm in safety and in connection, I don't go into dual, duality and projection. So if I'm in duality and projection, that means I'm not in safety and connection. So, and whose job is it for me to fit into safety or connection? Yours. Mine. Exactly. Yours. Yours. And to your point, sometimes there is a reason, like sometimes there is a need, sometimes it is valid. And so you just have to check that out. Exactly. Other times, a lot of the time, it's not needed in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Eric, how can people find find more about the social sense making and your work and to do work with you? I know you've got rainboweric.com. And you're yeah. seeing, you see private clients individually to work through this whole process that you've just described. We have our work that we do together, the teacher training. By the time everybody hears this, it'll be begun. So you'll have missed that opportunity. But we always talk about creating more opportunities together in the yeah. future. Yeah, we will have our retreat in, in February in 2022. The yeah. Final. Yeah. That retreat. retreat together, February, it's going to be about February 20th, 17th. 17th, thank you, 17th yeah. in Teotihuacan, Mexico. So that's coming up. We haven't really put info out about it yet, but probably if you go to the sageyogaboise.com website, it'll you'll have it there. And also the social sense making to learn about that. That'll be in person here in Boise, Idaho. Yeah. And then as far as other things, 
yeah, my rainbowerick.com uh, is about to be revamped and launched with with uh, many new things to reflect the work that I've been doing in the last several years. I kind of took my full site down when I left Boise four years ago, and now am uh, hopefully by this fall we'll we'll have a, a new sort of launch there, and um, I'm going to have a YouTube channel and just start hosting uh, events and experiences online um, start offering uh, bi-monthly or I guess bi-weekly uh, Zoom group calls and group experiences with, with breath work and somatic meditation. Awesome. And, yeah, as a way to kind of help building this sort of these practices and getting building kind of a sense of community of folks who are, who are maybe trying to surf that middle path mm. and find a way to kind of stay centered amidst this very polarized world and understand when and how we get sucked into it and how we find our way back. Um, mm. But yeah, in the meantime, uh, I can be reached through my website and I do, yeah, individual work, group work, travel and work online and and in person so um and then i think the weekend in 2022 uh before tree fort in boise we're gonna have um we're gonna have uh a, another social sense making training that will work i haven't told you that yet but that weekend mm -hmm. before tree fort so like the 18th 19th 20th or whatever that is in, in March, 2022. Oh, in March, in March. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Oh, great. That'll be your weekend. That'll be awesome. weekend for okay, the, great. The work. I'll put links in the show notes too, to all of this that I can, but Eric, thank you again for your wisdom, for your presence, for your depth. It's always a treat. It's always a joy. Yeah. Thank you, Marissa. I love it. I love being here with you. And I, I love the, the, the same. I love your depth and wisdom and that you host this space and hold this, the place that you do and create a, an opportunity for people to come together to have these types of conversations. And, uh, you know, maybe a plug for the work you and I are doing into the future, you know, is, is actually doing more kind of on the ground training with taking all of these tools and things that you and I both have learned and studied and dedicated our lives to over the last couple decades, you know, three, two, three decades of, of, of weaving, of being able to put that into some more training and, um, and more experiences for people. So stay yeah. tuned. When you move back to Boise, that'll happen. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Thank you. Like, that feels good. <laughs> well, uh, always more to come. Sure, and I will maybe I can plug that. I'll be in Boise from August 20th to September 26th. And so to my Boise friends and family and students and clients, uh, I'll be in Boise for five weeks. Come get some. Come get a slice. Come get a slice. Oh, I love you, Marissa. Rade. I love you too. And <laughs> all, all of your names. Yes. Thank you, Eric.